Hello everyone, welcome to Cookies and Code, season 2, episode 1. I cannot believe that we have made it to the second season and for those of you here from the beginning, thanks so much for being here, supporting and inspiring me to continue doing this. I know it's been a while I put something out, but I've been on parental leave. I'm just back even more excited, even more inspired to put out good stuff. So come along for season two and I promise I have some good things lined up and there will be even more on the way. So hopefully this is gonna be one for you to enjoy as well. Uh, For today's episode, we're talking about the topic of measuring marketing performance. And I have with me one of the experts in our business Douglas Greens, who is leading the success architect team of our Datorama group, which is basically our marketing intelligence solution. And quick disclaimer once again, even though we may talk about Salesforce, because we both work at Salesforce, this is not a Salesforce podcast, it's an independent one. So without further ado, I'd like to give the opportunity to Doug to introduce himself and get today's topic kicked off. So Doug, welcome and over to you. Hi, Stavros, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Very excited about season two. I loved the first season, so I feel very honored to be here today. Um, yeah, a little more to my background. So I've been in the tech industry now for longer than I can think to remember. I think it's like been 16 years. Um, I started in a software company doing QA and support, moved on to product design. Um, I was an agile team lead for a while. Um, jumped a couple of times and now three, four companies later, I finally arrived at Datarama working on our, our marketing intelligence platform and helping my team and our clients to get the most out of their marketing performance measurement. That's awesome, Doug. I love this segment of the episode every time because, you know, for me, it's what I said at the beginning. There are so many amazing people that we get to work with every day. And this, this personally fascinates me, right? And there are all these different kind of backgrounds of how people ended up doing what they do. Um, so you mentioned that you kind of already started in tech. Um, is that right? Yeah, exactly. And what is it that kept you in tech for that long? What is it that you find exciting <laughs> about? Well, I, I think uh, to answer that question, I, I need to go way back. So how did I even get into tech in the first place? Okay. So... I live in Germany now. I, I come from England. And um, when I was very, very young, so I think like 10, 11, um, my dad uh, had a friend and he was selling an old IBM 16-bit 8086 computer. And my dad, seeing computers being the the next big thing, thought, well, it might be great to, to buy Doug a computer and stick it in front of him and see what happens. Hmm. <laughs> and and <laughs> love, I love parent experimentation, you know. Yeah, he, he knew nothing about it himself. Uh, so so he couldn't teach me anything about it, but he, he just gave me that tool, right? And so I had this computer in front of me without a hard drive with a couple of diskettes and uh, I had to figure out how to make it work. And it was some of the most interesting or one of the most interesting things I ever got to do as a kid and making that thing work and tweaking it and finding workarounds to all its limitations was something that fascinated me. So that really got me into tech and uh, playing my first games and playing with the the first bits of code. So doing stuff in basic really, really showed me that it was what I wanted to do with my life. And of course, being young uh, and playing those games, first thing I wanted to be was a game tester, right? 
Um, oh wow! <laughs> it's like I think that's everything. Sounds like a dream job. Yeah, exactly. It's a dream job. I think that every kid that starts with computer uh, computers wants to have um, until at some point you realize the reality of it all. Uh, and then I just realized I really just wanted to to get into tech, to creating great products, and to making products that really change the lives or the work lives at least of our of our clients and help them to get somewhere and i think that's what's constantly kept me in tech as well is that being able to work with clients together and to to see their goals to help them define their goals and to realize those goals together with them and then to see the product of what we've created together that's mm -hmm. that has always been the most rewarding experience for me at all in my work yeah this is such a fascinating aspect and you know this to me uh, because i've also passed through the architect um, path right and uh, one of the things that fascinates me in that space especially when you actually get to work with customers on building a product is that you put something out there that has the potential to influence hundreds thousands maybe millions of of lives you know like you, you know it's in a way you know how real physical quote-unquote architects build buildings that can alter a city's mm -hmm. uh, skyline software architects and developers and engineers get to build stuff that you put out there on the internet and then people get to use it and have some sort of uh, experience right? so this is I, I absolutely relate to that on that so awesome um, and how about marketing is that was that by coincidence or is it something that you just um, what attracted to along the way? Uh, tell me a bit more about that. Absolutely by by coincidence. So I sort of began well with a product that was linked to marketing, but it was it was way before anything. It was more um, so my first company, a company called Comosoft. Um, mm -hmm. They made a software. It's basically a content management software for for media production. So creating catalogs, creating websites, putting out the offers and so it didn't really have to do with marketing in the sense that we talk about it now so like digital marketing or performance mm -hmm. marketing um but more in creating the materials that the, the consumer got in their hands you know choose their yeah. choose their new jacket from or whatever um so that was sort of the beginning and getting into marketing in the way that i am into it now was more of a lucky break because uh, a lot of people from that company where i began moved on in their careers uh, across time and uh, always had a good relationship with many of my ex-colleagues. And so 10 years later, after starting in that company, uh, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, Doc, um, so we're looking for somebody to to get into the client success team for Datorama in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be a good fit. And so that's where it sort of began. And then I came out of the, the media production and into more of the marketing side of the, the industry then. Amazing. You see, this I think in Germany there is this quote that you always meet twice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and that can be a good thing, uh, but it can be a bad thing. So that's why I say be careful also, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whenever you separate uh, from someone, uh, make sure it's done in, in good terms because you always meet twice. Absolutely. And, and I think um, one thing that I've always been told um, is that it's really important to surround yourself with people you want to work with. And I think if you do that, then you are almost guaranteed to meet twice or even three times in life because those are the people that you just that bring this this culture and this environment that you want to work in that you excel in. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice, and it's true. I guess somehow it, the world in that space feels also so small. But I think to a certain extent is based on what you're saying. Also, 
by choice of the people that tend to be in it, like you tend to gravitate towards that space and that community. I have another question and sorry, this is like a clarification thing. And I know when I introduced you at the beginning, I said you're leading a team of architects, uh, but it good to clarify, this is a client success. In the client success space, it's the success architect role. Uh, maybe a quick lesson for the listener, because I know these structures are all a bit confusing for some of our customers, sometimes for some of our colleagues as well. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what your team does? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, t- my team of success architects, what do we do? What's our role? I think that the best analogy for what we can do is um, say you're a climber uh, and you want to get to the top of a certain mountain and you've never done it before. Then one thing you are going to do uh, before and on during that journey is to get yourself a guide. Mm-hmm. Someone who's done it before, who sort of knows the territory and, and can get you there best. And I think that's basically what we do so we work with our clients to for one recognize their goals where do they want to get to not just in a marketing context but also in a business context so what are their their overarching goals and then we work with them to identify what can they do with the tools that we provide and with their processes to get there and we accompany them across that whole journey so especially in my team we're not just um it's not like an engagement base. We don't just jump in, jump out and problem solved. Mm-hmm. But we we are really with the client from the moment that they um, buy our software to the moment when they, <laughs> I don't want to say no longer use it, but that fortunately doesn't happen much. They use it for a long time. Um, and we're just uh, that client partner throughout that journey. Yeah. Okay. Um, understood. Great. Thank you so much for this clarification, Doug. And with that, um, I'd like us to, to do kind of a, move into the topic of the episode. So uh, I mentioned also at the introduction to today, we're talking about marketing performance measurement. Uh, so um, to, to many people, this can mean different things, right? Uh, and to some people, maybe it doesn't mean anything yet because they haven't heard it before. So I think it would be good to kind of baseline it a little bit for everybody. So can you tell us a bit, what is marketing performance measurement about? Mm-hmm. On the most basic level, marketing performance measurement is really measuring the performance of my marketing uh, strategies, my tactics and my activities. So really measuring what is the output of what I've put in. Um, but that is a exceptionally basic level. Measuring your marketing in the context of your goals as a business. Mm-hmm. So where do you actually want to get with your marketing? Because uh, I think that's something that, especially when you when you when you get tools to measure it right and when you introduce technology that's something that people tend to forget and they concentrate a lot on the numbers themselves mm-hmm. but if you really take those two steps back it's all about actually looking where you're getting in terms of your goals and those may not necessarily have anything to do with um the marketing platforms or tools that you're using uh, in themselves uh, they may be in some sense sort of abstract, but those are what they're driving your marketing um, activities anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, marketing performance measurement for me, to, to put it into one sentence, it's measuring your marketing in the context of where you want to get to as a business. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I guess what you, the way you describe it um, says it perfectly is against the specific business goals that you may have that the marketing function itself is is contributing to, right? 
Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, you need to come down to the measure level where you can see, is, are you achieving what you're set out to achieve? All marketers should be doing this, or they, are, they must be doing this, right? Is that your experience? <laughs> uh, everyone is doing it, um, but the, the way people are doing it, uh, there's a lot of different levels there. So uh, which levels of complexity uh, and which levels of efficiency people are measuring, that varies a lot. Okay, so what what happens uh, if you don't do it right? I guess <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny. It reminds me of the, the first pitch I ever got when I when I started at Datarama. So one of the sales guys was trying to tell me about why why we do this, and they they compared measuring your marketing performance to having your autopilot in an airplane. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to get where you want to go in the most efficient manner, that autopilot, it knows the straight line, it knows the way. You can do everything manually, but it just does mean a lot more work and you might not necessarily making all the, be making all the right decisions. So what happens if you don't do it? Then the complexity of it all and the amount of, especially today, the amount of data you have to crunch for it, can just become extremely overwhelming. And then you get into a space where you're doing a lot, but you're not sure what effects it, it is actually having. Mm-hmm. So in the autopilot analogy, I guess, it might actually autopilot you to a completely different destination <laughs> if, <laughs> if you're way off base by the sound of it. Yeah, I like that analogy, right? Because I think, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, I guess, Conceptually speaking, this topic is pretty straightforward. I agree with your opening statement about it. Uh, where I've struggled is it's so often, and I don't know why it is so often difficult to to derive specific measures and KPIs out of broad marketing goals. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I'd love to hear maybe a bit more about you, how, how diverse is the landscape in terms of what you're measuring? Or is it really every company measuring something different or every, um, yeah, I guess every company? Uh, or is it a finite number of KPIs that you just alternate based on context and decide what, what to measure in which scenario? Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. I guess you can separate the question to the, the strategic side and the technical side. So in mm-hmm. terms of the strategic side, what are you measuring when you're measuring marketing performance. There are a couple of very broad subjects there that I think are very common. So, you know, you're either measuring sales, you're measuring revenue, you're measuring uh, the amount of leads you're getting, you're measuring your reach. Uh, so your brand awareness, for example, um, these are pretty common goals. In terms of technical, it, there is a, a multitude of things. And I think that's where it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading... Um, a report on on the the sort of state of the marketing landscape right now. Um, I read that the average marketer has like eight channels um, and twenty one platforms, and that's just the the average marketer. So one in five still have like thirty to fifty, and so on the technical wow. side, there is just so much I think to measure, and I think that's where the complexity comes in. I think that's what makes it so hard, and I think that's. Uh, one of the dangers that if you don't measure your marketing performance right, then you're sitting in that space where you just have so much data and so much stuff coming in, but you just um, 
to take a to take a German saying, you can't see the woods for all the trees, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, another German saying we're pulling out today, <laughs> and uh, yeah, this nation has a lot of wisdom. Um, so okay, so I guess what you're saying is, when it comes to the business side, um, I think it boils down to a few KPIs that are pretty standard um, that you see across different scenarios. Maybe they vary a little bit by industry, I would argue, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's the same or slightly different interpretation. But then when it gets really interesting and even more complicated is um, when we go down to, um, I'm not sure how to call this, you, you call it operational tactical level, right? How do you bring data together? How do you bring activity-based KPIs together um, in order to create that downstream picture that leads to the business level KPI, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so um, now you've, you said you've done that for a good number of years with many different clients. You've been an advisor throughout the journey. Um, so now I would like to tap into your wisdom um, and hear a bit about some advice maybe you'd like to give me and anybody that may be listening on, on how to do marketing performance measurement well, right? So what mm -hmm. are some of the key considerations somebody should keep in mind? So going back to, to how we opened, right, with your marketing performance measurement is measuring what you're doing in, in the context of your business goals. So how to do it well would first be to really define those business goals. And that's that's the one side. And that's that's where we begin with practically every client. So we'll sit down and inevitably the first thing we'll ask is, you know, okay, what, what are you guys aiming to do? And uh, the answer is quite often, you know, we're... we're we're looking to to measure return on ad spend. We're looking to measure, you know, what's our cost per lead, for example. And then um, the second question is always why. So why are you looking to measure that? What's what's your actual business goal behind that? And uh, more often than not, that's where a client will then actually start thinking about it and start maybe adding some more to to the equation. So maybe just measuring that KPI isn't actually everything that's linked to that goal and so having that goal is is really important and most companies um they, they will already have that goal and then it's really a case of aligning internally so from from the c-level down right down to the marketing department to make sure that goal is just aligned mm -hmm. to make sure everyone's actually you know on the same side and 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 trying to do the same thing uh, i think that's one of the definitely a key consideration here because i think that's not always the case a lot of times a company will make assumptions that everybody knows what page we're on which I direction think we're going i want to uh i i do want to make a pause here inter interject because i want to stress what you're just saying uh this is so so important and it's uh, at least something i've seen so often you may have a term like, oh, we want to measure conversion, for example. Uh, but not everybody understands that in the same way. And unless you're really clear what you mean by that and why you want to do it. And again, as you said, what's the underlying goal that you're trying to support by that measurement? Um, you may spend a lot of time and effort and money possibly um, and then have something that is only considered by partial group a success, right? Well, the rest of them are like, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> no. So I talked about that actually in the episode about strategic alignment with Sarah in season one. I would, I don't remember the number of the episode, but I do urge people to go back and listen to that. And Sarah uh, shares some, some really cool examples where when she had to deal with it. 
Yeah. So, but super important point. Um, and again, sorry to inter interject, but I think this is something you can never stress enough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no worries. Um, something I think I, at least I emphasize at least once a week uh, at work. So definitely worth it. Um, so coming out of that, coming out of those whys and aligning on those, I think the second most important thing you can do as an organization is to prioritize. Mm-hmm especially when you are jumping into this world of taking your marketing performance measurements seriously and actually designing a strategy and possibly implementing a tech stack around it. Um, it's important to prioritize because it's it can be a decent amount of work at the beginning. And then it's important to know what what use cases you want to handle first, which ones are going to bring the most success um, against those measures, those goals that you have. Um, and from there on, um, I think one thing that we often talk about with our clients, uh, and it's a huge deal, is uh, data governance and, and data readiness. So why do I say this? Um, when you're looking to, to measure your marketing performance, I mentioned before, like, you know, the, the eight channels, the, the 21 platforms people have um, in average that sounds that might that might not even sound like a lot, but if you think about what you're doing in those platforms, that can be all sorts of different data from all sorts of different people in your organization. And traditionally, you'd be pulling that all together, doing a lot of manual work. And the people who do those manual work will know the pain of realizing that everybody's working differently in every single platform. Mm -hmm. Everybody is applying different rules to their data, different naming conventions, just following a completely different process. And when you measure marketing performance, one of the key things is bringing all that data together, making it comparable, looking for cor correlations, looking for patterns. And you can only do that if you can bring it together. So on a really, really basic level, for example, maybe you want to check your return on ad spend for a particular product line. If you cannot identify that product line in your 21 different sources of data reliably, then how are you going to actually measure that? Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like kind of a challenge. I'm thinking now enterprise level organizations, like uh, so uh, th that basically, I mean, you said it, the average is, um, you said eight sources, right? So that's, that's on average. Eight channels. Eight channels, and sorry. 21 uh, sources. And, yeah. and 21 sources. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's on average. I mean, that on the extreme end of this, you know, like we are working with very, complicated enterprise level organizations that carry a lot of legacy and often can be way more than that. Um, and I want to go back to the point that you mentioned about prioritization, right? So of course you need to prioritize the use cases, try to see what is it that you need to measure first in order to see value quickly. Uh, but I guess sometimes where I, I, I have found the challenge is organizations stall in trying to map out their data landscape and try to come up with some sort of model or architecture that they they will make sure it's going to be um, future-proof, so to speak. Um, so how do you balance that dilemma, right? So if especially if you're in the process that you want to demonstrate value quickly, but on the other hand, you have this very complicated landscape that could take, you know, weeks or months to map out and, and design a structure around. Um, so do you have any advice on that? <laughs> um 
I'd say it depends. Uh, that's a big question, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I also don't know like the perfect answer. I, I have something in mind, but I'd love to hear your point of view and maybe we can exchange on that after this. I think, I think answering that question, I, I need to reach back to a very early point in my career when I was running agile teams. And I think there's a lot of similarity there actually, because uh, in an agile process, when you're doing product design, when you're designing what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, you're talking about business value and cost and you're prioritizing against that. And I think that's a key consideration then deciding what to do, especially as an enterprise uh, organization and when to do it. So if I know, for example, maybe there is one key KPI, uh, let's say I'm looking for my customer lifetime value, which is a big deal for a lot of companies. A lot of people want to know this this number, but it is also one of the most complicated metrics to be calculated at all because there are just so many factors to put into it. If I know that it's a lot of work, it's a lot of cost, then maybe it's not my priority to do it first. Maybe my priority, though, is to set up the prerequisites for that. So maybe that could be something I'm doing in parallel to another topic that's just coming with a lot less pain but also bringing a quick win, which can be, for example, optimizing my campaign performance, which with a couple of platforms and bringing that data together is actually not that complicated. Mm-hmm. With a little bit of benchmarking and just seeing where where different costs are bringing in different um, successes, whether it be maybe I'm looking for clicks, maybe I'm looking for impressions, maybe I'm actually looking for revenue. That's something I can get at a lot quicker. And then that would be something I would definitely prioritize first. So I take a complete agile methodology to this and always be comparing cost to benefit. Even if that benefit is huge, if the cost is also huge, then that's really not what I should be working on first. Mm -hmm. Because uh, a lot of the time, especially when you're pivoting your organization to work into the direction of improving your marketing performance measurement, as a team, or at least as a marketing team, you're often out there to prove something. Mm-hmm. And people don't usually wait months or years to prove or ha- to have something proved. Right. So it's important to have those quick wins and to get that momentum going to be able to then push onto your midterm and long term goals. That's great advice, Doug. I think that's uh, you, you nailed it, right? So uh, I guess what what you're saying so let me rephrase um is basically in this scenario where you have a very complicated picture to figure out before you start dealing with some of the big rocks um you're saying try to figure out the small feasible rocks first that can give you some quick wins and successes while in parallel you have another stream running on the big stuff um is that a fair Definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. And I love this advice. And I think that that's something that you're absolutely right. Uh, is, especially in um, our time and age, there is no, I mean, it, it's not, uh, I guess, SaaS and, and this whole um, uh, cloud t- type of model that is not new anymore. So people already, the expectations have level set to, I want something quickly. When you start a new project, I want something in three months maximum is usually what we hear from customers when they first start with something. It doesn't have to be the end picture, but there has to be something in three months. And yeah. the only way to achieve that is by following a strategy that you described. So you, you shared the, some key considerations and what we should be thinking about. You talked about um, knowing what is it that you want to do first uh, or what is it that you want to achieve? Why uh, the underlying question? Make sure you look into that. 
um, and then um, prioritizing the use cases and looking at what is the different um, people that need to be part of the process that you have to bring together and also where the different data sets in your organization that you require as kind of a um, foundation in order to fulfill those first use cases. Um, so this is all some great advice. Um, now you mentioned a couple of challenges in there as well, um, but I'd like to zero in on, on that a bit more. So when it comes mm -hmm. to some common challenges that you see, uh, is there anything else that you would like to add besides maybe the data point? I know it's something we, we talked about extensively, or you could talk about that again if you think there's something we should add to it as well. So. No, I, uh, I think, um, I mean, I, I could go into that um, mm -hmm. and we could do a whole, I think, second podcast on, on, on data governance and, and naming conventions <laughs> and the importance of that. But that's getting into the technicals. I mean, in the end, the, the key statement there is I need to have my data comparable. And for that, I need standards in my data. And those standards need to be implemented across the organization. Um, but that leads quite well into my, to the next point. What is something that can be a, a key challenge and what is also a key consideration from the from the get-go? When we're talking about automating such processes, like putting in the tech stack for marketing performance measurement and building something that will help me as an organization to be efficient, to, to avoid manual work, um, to be able to react to, to stuff more in real time than than in delayed uh, in a delayed way, mm -hmm. then one of the biggest obstacles that I see across all of our clients is actually implementing that into processes. So people will set up a project, they will work on this, they will put all the technology in place, all the data in place, they will build the insights, they will design around those KPIs and around those goals that I want to achieve as a company. And where it often stops because people underestimate the significance of this phase is actually enabling and implementing it into my processes. Mm -hmm. So for example, as a marketer, let's say we're going for campaign optimization. Um, one thing that we enable our clients to do is to move away from a post-flight world where, you know, a campaign will run, you'll look at the data four weeks afterwards because that's the time it takes to crunch it all together and to get a decent report on it. And then you'll decide what to do next time. With... Um, a decent tech stack behind that that turns into near, near real time. So you're monitoring your campaign performance in flight. Now, what's really important is to be able to teach people what they can do with that, to teach people how to use their data dashboards, to teach people how to use those insights that they pivot their campaigns and really drive those efficiencies right away. And that lack of enablement and that lack of implementing it into processes is something that I think most companies really, really struggle with because in the end it comes down to change management and change management can be hard because people underestimate, underestimate the different factors that that uh, sort of key into to a decent change. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, you brought quite a few points there. So, and, and as you were talking, <laughs> there were uh, some, some thoughts and examples that were popping to mind. Uh, again, uh, no surprise, everything you said is like spot on, right? So the... Uh, when it comes to automation, um, one thing I also want to, to add on to that was that I think the right mindset when it comes to problem solving right, in, in this environment is always try to see how the solution I'm creating as a, as a result of my, uh, kind of my transformation, right? but also uh, when you encounter a problem in that process, could be an operational problem, try to see how you build it into an automated process as opposed to 
putting a patch with somebody having to do some uh, manual data crunching. And I see this often as kind of the quick fix that becomes a forever fix. Um, and I love that you actually brought that up as, as a point. Um, so that's what it reminded me of. Um, with regards to data and insights, right? So that's one thing you also shared, and I know you and I have talked about is we have a lot of fancy dashboards. I guess a lot of our customers spend a lot of time creating fancy dashboards and looking at them. And of course you can look at the numbers, but I think oftentimes you, you get carried away by throwing all possible numbers on one fancy <laughs> dashboard like this and then forget at, at the insight, right? Because this whole thing is it's supposed to give you insights um, that you have to use. And I, I fully agree with you that enablement, um, it, it's enablement and also the right cultural mindset, I would say around it um, is something that um, we need to train on. So have you have you seen any clients or any examples that from your background that you see of um, that, that have figured out how to empower their organizations to move in the right direction in that space? Absolutely. And I think my favorite example are the clients that they'll, they'll build dashboards based around questions and based around a story. Mm. So they'll, they'll avoid uh, those 24 KPIs next to each other. <laughs> Um, because I mean, it looks great. You're looking at the top of that dashboard and you see, oh, there's, you know, 13 million in sales and I have 400 million impressions and it's, it's all cool. It's all very quantitative, right? But it doesn't say anything. And I think the best clients for one, they design their dashboards around a story and around questions and then the, the real experts in it actually have those questions in the dashboards. So what they're doing is they're teaching their users to go through that data and to be asking themselves questions, to actually navigate it with that goal in mind. So to not really concentrate on the numbers, but to actually concentrate on where they want to go with those numbers and to, to build into those dashboards the ability to compare. So it's not just about how many impressions I have, maybe it's the more so the, the change, like how many impressions do I have this month? Like what happened last month and what have I done in between to affect that change and what do I want to do next to affect the change I want to see. So maybe in the last month I had um, a dip in my click-through rate. So really simple. Maybe I'm doing email marketing and I notice my click-through rate has gone down. Then what's the question I should be asking myself? I should be asking myself, well, what did I send out last month? And which specific sendouts were, you know, underperforming? What did I do wrong there? What do I need to avoid in the future? Which ones are overperforming? What do I need to do more of in the future? Because that's what rocks. That's what gets people to click. And that's what's driving my revenue, which is actually my goal in the end. That's, I love this example. And uh, thanks so much, Doug. I think this is gold, right? So the uh, what you started with and this whole idea, and I, I will stick to that because to me, it really, I think it's imprinted in my mind right now. But it's, it's, <laughs> um, it's structure the dashboards around the story, right? And what is the story that you want to be able to read through, to tell, to inform about when you're using these dashboards as a tool to educate your stakeholders within the organization, your your management, the broader team, right? Um, so I love that. Um, super cool. And I love some of the questions that you, you shared with us as an example as well. 
I know that normally customers have to pay for that, but you know, uh, <laughs> if anybody if anybody wants to um, ask any question um, and that Doug and I could follow up on, I say that in every episode there is a link, a URL uh, that I'm going to put in the episode description. You can click on that. You can leave a voice message, and then what I'll do is I will try to convince Doug to answer to this free of charge. Don't know if I can be successful, but I will try. <laughs> No, no convincing necessary. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much. So um, I think we talked about quite a bit, right? And uh, you've shared a lot of golden nuggets with us throughout the way. Uh, so uh, just to wrap this up um, a little bit, if you were to summarize some of the key takeaways, right? So let's say we had a couple of people that we lost them throughout the episode. They were, you know, interrupted or distracted by something else. Now I want everybody to come back because the question <laughs> is, what are the key takeaways? that one should remember from today's um, discussion? Big question. I think we spoke about it a lot, but um, starting at the beginning, and I know it's it's so overused, but the, the start with why is, I think, a big deal. So when you're looking to measure your marketing performance, totally take 10 steps back away from all your platforms, away from all your KPIs, and actually ask why and talk to your teams about it and make sure everyone's aligned on what goal you are driving. I think that for one is key. And the second takeaway and one that I try to enforce with all my clients, um, I, I sound like a Duracell bunny when I say it, but <laughs> is the, the technology is one thing, but implement the technology into your processes, make it part of the chain. Otherwise it will lie there unused and you will not be getting the benefits you need out of it. Change your processes, raise awareness for, for the stuff you're using and gain success through that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doug. So um, everyone, uh, if there's one thing you should take away from today's episode, make sure this is it. Uh, but if you missed anything, please go back and listen to the whole thing. I mean, there's some really good stuff in there. So, and now for the closing, um, you know, because you've been a fan of the podcast, so you know what's coming. It's one a question that <laughs> I like to ask um, everyone, and that comes back a little bit more to, you know, your own experience navigating uh, through your own career and life overall. Um, but basically, the question is: Is there a one piece of advice that you received at some point and that you have kept with you throughout uh, your career? And what is that? And can you tell us a bit more about it? Like what it means to you? Absolutely. And, and I've already said it, so it's, it's easy to pull out. Um, but this comes from one of the, the best managers, mentors that I ever had. Uh, she guided me extremely well. And she, she told me, you know what, Doug, if you want to have a good career and be happy, then surround yourself with people you like to work with. Mm. I think that's the best piece of advice I've ever heard. I think if you follow it up, you'll always work with good people and you'll always be happy in your job and you'll have fun. Yep, that's great advice. Yeah. So I agreed with you when you said it before and I'm going to agree again. Uh, I love, I mean, uh, frankly, it's, it's very interesting to hear, you know, the different people's um, advice, what has resonated with everybody, uh, because this is a deeply personal thing. Um, and so far, I have never, I've never heard something that I disagreed with. Uh, but this one in particular is something I love because this is also kind of the motivation for why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place was the opportunity to connect with some of the people 
that's around me um, in my, at least in the professional context, and share some of that wisdom with the world. So thanks so much, Doug, for doing this. And thank you for, so much for jumping on, for your time, for, for sharing um, all of your great insights around the topic of marketing performance measurement. So hopefully anybody listening, you learned something today and uh, that you're going to take back to your company, to your business, apply it, see great results, get promoted as a result, and then hit me up and we can have an episode together to tell that story. Um, besides that, Doug, is there any final message that you would like to share? Uh, just thank you once again. Uh, honored that I can be in this episode and I hope that everyone has something they could take away which improves their daily lives at work and otherwise I think everyone should just have fun doing what they're doing. Um, tech can be boring soon uh, or boring fast if you take it too seriously. <laughs> Don't. Tell the story, have fun, get what you need out of it and make people's lives better. You know what, Doug? There is no closing you can do after this. I think you said it perfectly. <laughs> so thanks again so much and thanks to everybody listening. And yeah, hopefully you will still be around for the next one. Cheers. <laughs>